Good morning, Summit Church. Thank you, thank you. I'm so glad you're here. Hope you're doing well. Welcome to our online uh, campus as well. Thanks for jumping in there with us, and uh, we're glad that you're here. If you're new here, my name's Jim. We are Summit Church, and we are a community of faith. This is kind of who we are. We love God, and we believe that He's got transforming power and love for all of us. We are trying to drink deeply of His grace and to walk in relationship with Him. And we want desperately for everybody that we know and run into and, and meet in our lives to also find the transforming power of the love of God, the work of Jesus in our lives. And so we're focusing this last part of the year on this stretch of seeking resilience and fidelity in our lives. Mental illness, uh, mental health is at a high, all-time peaked thing. Uh, relational conflict. Man, life is just seems like it's gotten harder and harder and harder. And we believe that God uh, gives us the secret to be able to live a life where we not only survive, where we not only like get by, but where we prevail. And so we want to grow in our resilience, our ability to be strong, to, to flourish in any situation, and to be faithful, fidelity, faithful to God, to His Word. And so that's what we're learning. We're going through this series called uh, Fully Faithful, and we're learning how to do this. This is our goal, how to take the grace of God and rather than it sit at the surface level of our lives and we have like a religious experience or we think like religious people or we have a faith thing, but to let the work of God go deep inside of us so that truly it's transformation, not sin management. A lot of, uh, a lot of times we get stuck in the sin management world. We're just trying to be better people and do the right thing. And, and man, God has a transformation work in us, but it's a process that goes deeper and deeper into our hearts. And that's where we're trying to make our way is, man, God, have your way in every part of us. And so uh, we're getting down under the hood like we're raising the hood of the car and we're saying, God, go in there and figure this out. So here's what I'd like to do before we dive into the scriptures. And we're going to look at two scriptures this morning, John 6, 29, which is our memory verse for this series. I'm going to ask you to memorize it. And uh, then Proverbs chapter 16, we are in verses uh, one through seven. We're only going to do verses one and two today. That's where we'll be in just a second. But could we just take a moment and center ourselves on an awareness that God is with us and that he'd like to speak to us? And let's lean in to that. Okay, so let's just take a moment. Father, we're grateful. And we take this moment to center our scattered senses around the presence of God. So uh, we might be thinking about football, we might be thinking about lunch, we might be thinking about family conflict, we might be thinking about our massive to-do list. Help us to center ourselves right here in this moment on you. And Holy Spirit, would you quicken to our hearts and ears and minds to hear the truth of your word? Give us, give us hope, give us encouragement, give us direction, and help us to attend to you and to your word today. And so we take this moment take a deep breath, we relax in your presence, and we say, man, God, speak to us. We need you. So help us. We pray in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. All right, so John 6, 29 is our memory verse for this passage, and you, uh, you know, some of you may not need to look at it, uh, to have it. Now, I know that scripture memory is something that I believe is a really powerful habit, and um, and it's not easy. So some of you are like, man, I don't memorize things. I don't, but I want you to memorize this. So they had asked Jesus, what, what are the works that God requires? Like, what does he want from us? And he answered with verse 29, the work of God is this. Tell you what, stand, would you? 
Let's honor the word of God by standing for the reading of it. We're quoting it, so it threw me off that I'm, that I'm not reading it to you. We uh, thank you for that. The work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. This is it. This is our one job, to believe in the one that he has sent. This is what God is asking of us. This is how we find our way into God's favor. This is how we live in the abundance of God, to believe in the one that he has sent. Now, Proverbs 16, and we're learning some spiritual disciplines out of these verses, one per verse. We did the first one last week, so we're just going to read verses 1 and 2, Proverbs 16. To humans belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue. All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. The word of God, you can be seated. Thank you so much. So we're in this idea that we want to be better disciples, and disciples are people who are obsessed with Jesus. I think a better word in our day is apprentice. I don't like the word Christian because it's been hijacked. Uh, although I love the historical meaning of that word, I think it has a lot of confusion in our culture. So when somebody asks me, are you a Christian? I rarely say yes. I say, well, I'm not sure what you mean by that word, but I am a follower of Jesus Christ. So I'm a disciple or an apprentice of Jesus. And uh, when you understand discipleship, that is Jesus making disciples who have three obsessions. We want to be with Jesus. We want to become like Jesus. And we want to join the family business of Jesus. We want Jesus to continue his work around us and we get to participate with him. These are the obsessions of a disciple. And our goal as a church is to be a community of faith where we are, from whatever point of the journey we're on right now, we are moving toward faithful discipleship to Jesus. Man, we want to know him. I, was, I, I did a seminar training years and years ago called Five Questions Teens Want to Ask Their Parents. I don't know if you've ever parented teenagers. It's a really difficult job. And, uh, you know, there's these questions teens are asking. Do you like me? Do you love me? Do you get me? Do you trust me? And I was thinking about that this morning because what Jesus wants, what God says, here's the work of God, to believe in the one that he has sent. Do you get Jesus? Do you trust Jesus? Do you believe in the redemptive work of Jesus, the person of Jesus? Do you believe in the finished work on the cross of Jesus? Do you believe in the commitment that Jesus has to your redemption and to your renewal? Do you trust him? Do you desire to be with him? These are the questions God wants to know, and really the rest is details. And so what, here's the problem of religion is we flip the script, and we've been all focused on the details and not focused on the relationship. So the idea is, you know, uh, we, 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 don't, we don't lie and we do business equitably and we are pure in our sexuality and we, we get focused on these do's and they're not unimportant. But here's what that's like. That's like getting focused on the fruit on the tree instead of the health and vitality of the tree. And so what this series is about is us saying, hey, Lord, let's go down into the roots here. Let's go into the core, into this massive trunk I have. And uh, let's go in there and let's do some work together there. This is what God wants to do because if he can transform the inner person, if you can let God live in you, then this becomes transformational. So last week, the first, and we're talking about spiritual disciplines that help us in this process. And remember that a spiritual discipline is not just trying harder. 
It's a spiritual discipline, which means that the Holy Spirit participates with us as we contribute with our efforts. The Holy Spirit multiplies our efforts and we flourish with God by the strength of God, by the grace of God. So we're not talking about just trying harder. It can, it can sound like that, but what it is is inviting Jesus into the trunk of the tree. God, come on in here. I've got some things going on in here that are producing fruit that I'm not proud of. I've got some things that are showing up in the surface of my life. And rather than just treat each symptom, Lord, come on in here and do some transformative work uh, so that I bear fruit naturally. You don't see trees straining to produce apples, right? Apple trees, they're not groaning and straining. They just produce apples. Why? Because the tree is in fabulous shape. And you can tell the condition of the tree by the fruit. So that's, it's not, there's a symbiotic relationship there. But we get focused on the fruit. We get focused on do, 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 go to church, read your Bible, pray, uh, be faithful, don't sin, don't go too far, don't do the wrong thing. God's focused on be, be with me, be a whole person, be transformed. And it's this symbiotic relationship of do, be, do, be, do, be, do, be, do, right? So... Uh, that's our walk with God is doing and being, but we get so focused on doing, we're not, we're missing the being. And so this is an invitation. So our first spiritual discipline was out of Proverbs 16.1, to human belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue, meaning that you have a domain and that first spiritual discipline is the spiritual discipline of alignment, aligning what you have control over, which is the workings of your heart, the plans of your heart, and align those with the proper answer from God. So this is a spiritual discipline. As I go through making decisions in my life, planning my life, strategizing my life, responding to enemies, responding to friends, responding to prosperity, responding to pain, responding to uh, suffering, I do all of that by aligning my heart with the truth God gives me. Okay, so now we're in the second one, verse two, which is all a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. So now we have a second spiritual discipline we want to talk about. And um, the big idea today is to stop, don't focus on do, but focus on the deep work of Jesus in you. Okay, here's what I've noticed about human beings. We judge others by their actions, but we judge ourselves by our intentions. And we will always say, but I didn't intend to hurt you. I, I was not, I, there was no malice in my heart. So we give us a license because we know our motives, but with other people, we judge them by their actions. And here's what the scripture is telling us, that you need a spiritual discipline of singular motivation because motives come out. Now let's talk about, uh, let's talk about this verse. It says, all a person's ways seem right to them. Their ways. Uh, we all have our ways. I was talking about football in the lobby with someone. The Dallas Cowboys have a way of deeply disappointing their fans over and over and over again. And I fear that the Denver Broncos are following the script of the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, but you know, you know what a Cowboy fan does after their team wins the Super Bowl? they turn off the Xbox and go to bed. Like you have to watch their last Super Bowl on VHS tape. That's how long it has been. And so, uh, you know, it's their way. I'm a, I fear that the Rockies are stuck in a way, right? 
people have their ways. You have your ways. And here's the thing about having a deep, intimate relationship. The more you know somebody, you know their ways. And in a marriage, for example, this information creates massive vulnerabilities. And so as a married person, you know your spouse's ways, and you can either shame them for their ways, uh, be angry at their ways, try to correct and change their ways, right? Or you can love them, but then do I also enable their ways if there's a broken way? But that's the massive vulnerability point of a marriage, to really know each other's ways. And when you know somebody, you know their ways. One time, my daughter Bethany, was she went to a state university, and she decided she wanted to transfer schools, and I really wanted her to go to Northwest University up in Kirkland, Washington. And uh, so it just so happened that the president of the school asked if I would come and talk to him. Now, I knew that he wanted me to come talk to him because he's raising money. And so I was pastoring a larger church there, and so he thought, uh, come, come, see, come hang out with me. And I actually went to school. Sue and I went to college with Joe Castleberry, the president there. So I said, hey, Joe, I'll come see you if I can bring Bethany with me and if you'll help persuade her to go to school there. So he said, bring her. So uh, we show up and we go in this conference room and it's me and Bethany and Joe and across the table is a guy who's the uh, dean of the school of ministries, whatever, Wade Goodall's his name. And they are crushing it with Bethany. Like she's into the arts and theater and he's, Joe's telling her about all the different theaters within a 10 minute uh, commute of Kirkland, all the shows you can see. And, and then uh, Wade is talking to her about uh, growing into a whole person and the, and the, you know, the kind of the whole person approach uh, to spiritual formation at the school. And I'm like, yes, yes, they're killing it. And then Joe says, uh, Dr. Castleberry says, uh, hey, Bethany, let me pray for you. And then I need to talk to your dad. Cool. So we bow our heads to pray. And here's his prayer. Lord, guide Bethany to the right school so that she'll find a good Christian husband and be able to establish her home as a good Christian wife. And I'm like, oh, you were doing so well. But I know my Bethany. And like, she's not, she's not looking for Mr. Wright to come and rescue her. And she's not ready to make her life all about some dude. Like I, I was created by God to help some dude. He blew it because he didn't know her ways. But I knew her ways and immediately I was like, ooh, this won't work. I'm a competitive person and my way is to compete. I feel like if, you, if winning doesn't matter, why do we keep score, right? It must matter because we count the points. And so uh, I had, my way is to compete and I compete in everything. And when I was a younger person, I would bulldoze people. Like I didn't want to just win. I wanted to humiliate my opponent. And it was a lousy way to make friends. And I remember one time I was home from college and my mom and I went out to hit tennis balls and I was slamming balls down her throat. And she finally threw her racket at me from across the court and said, I'm never playing tennis with you again. And I just couldn't turn it off. And I've matured a lot since then. And uh, I still feel like, you know, you should do well. You should compete. You should win. But I'm tempering that with the God who wins and how he wins, right? Our ways. You have ways. The way you do things. The way you see things. Uh, some people, this is a fascinating thing about human nature. Some people, when they're driving on a freeway, you can tell a lot about people's ways by the way they operate a vehicle. 
And they will, and I have been guilty of this in my past. My wife can verify, in my past. Uh, traffic's long and, you, you know, you got an exit coming up and the line for that exit is a mile long and the other lanes are faster. So you're going to keep going, look for an opening because there's going to be an opening and you're going to squeeze in there, right? So now how I've changed is I recognize that's a gamble. And if I lose the gamble, I'll wait to the next exit because I lost the gamble. I took a shot. In the old days, I would jam my way in there and upset people. And I was reading about personality temperaments, and there is a personality type, kind of a high D-driven personality type, that honestly believes in their soul. When I get into the front of the line, the world is a better place. Because what I do is very important. And the faster I get there to do that, I make the world a better place. So it's really good for everyone that I get to the front of the line. Okay, that's their way. When we were praying about coming home to Summit, uh, my, my, my counselor and my youngest son both said, this isn't a complicated decision. This is your nature. This is what God made you to do. God made you to be a part of something becoming connected and whole and thriving and flourishing, uh, not maintenance. It's not your way to do maintenance, right? We have our ways. And here's what the scripture says. Every person's ways seem pure to them. My ways seem right. If they were wrong, I would choose a different way. <laughs> I thought I was wrong once. Turned out I was wrong. So, uh, you know, that's how you feel. And you feel like, because you know your motives and you know your heart, you think that your ways are good. They are pure. They are sincere. They are honest. You raise an eyebrow at other people's ways, but you know yours are all good. But here's what it says. Uh, motives are weighed by the Lord. So I was thinking about your personality and all those ways, and I, I, I'm going to read you some quotes today off my phone. I, I text them to myself because I don't like to write them down. Personality. This is uh, by a guy named Gordon Allport, who's the father of personality theory. He was born in the late 1870s and taught at Harvard, and he's, he created personality theory. How is it we become the personality that we become? And he says this, personality is the dynamic organization of those psychophysical systems which determine our characteristic behavior and thought. How do you like that? That just blow your mind? So uh, here's what he's saying, that inside of you are physiological things going on and psychological things going on, and these merge together to form your personality, and they shape the way you think and behave. This is like, it's organic to us. We don't normally pay attention to it because it is so organic. You're not even aware it's happening. This is why when we are uh, born, we are already being formed in some good ways and bad ways. But Jesus wants to reform us because this process of personality development has gone on without God's uh, participation with you, okay? He's there. He's in the process. So what happens is you begin to shape a personality, and it's very natural to you. And you think, um, you know, my ways are pure. They're good. They're innocent. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, we talked about this last week as well. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. This is the process. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. 
but in all of your ways, okay, in all of your ways, acknowledge God and he'll direct your path. So this is what we're trying to do is say, God, come on in here and help me understand that your ways are higher than my ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are your ways than my ways. I'm not like you. I don't think like you. I wasn't formed like you. I'm not without sin. I'm tainted by the sin of my father. I am tainted by my own sin. I'm tainted by a contaminated world. I've got an enemy out to get me. I'm carrying around a flesh. And so, uh, man, I need God's help. So what is God going to do? He's going to weigh. He's not going to focus only on your ways. He's not going to just focus on the fruit of your tree. He's going to focus on the health and vitality of the person. And so he's going to go into motives. Now, he says the Lord, motives are weighed by the Lord. Uh, weights and scales in the ancient world, that's how money was transferred. So you would have uh, these weights uh, in a bag, and you would say, give me um, a pound of grain. And you would lay the, a pound worth of weights on the scale. They would put grain on the scale. And when it was even, that was a fair transaction. And people would have dishonest weights. So the weights had to be accurate to get an accurate measurement. Other people would taint the scales so that they slanted in your direction. God says, here's what you do. Because Genesis 8.22, after the flood, when God vowed, I'll never again destroy man by flood, even though, he says, every intention of his heart is only evil all the time. Even though that's true, I'm never going to destroy the world by a flood again. Every intention of his heart is only evil all the time. What this means is I can't really know myself accurately because we are masters of self-deception. We think our motives are pure. We think that our ways are honest. We think that we are uh, being um, unbiased, but we can't even know our own heart. And so we need God's help here. And so God says, here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to weigh the motives and we're going to get in here together and we're going to work on the deeper part of you because if your motives can be shaped by God and you can have the presence of God in your inner person, now it'll begin to change how your personality expresses itself and your ways will get in alignment because you're being transformed from the inside out. So this is the goal. So let me give you the definition of what are motives. Like what are motives? Again, this is a definition from actually a deep dive on that word in the Old Testament. It's an emotion, a desire, a physiological need, and a psychological impulse that stimulates us to certain kinds of action. In a broader sense, it's an underlying assumption. It's a basic reason that we do what we do, say what we say, act how we act, or think how we think. So there's a, there's a lot going on in there. There's a lot going on in there where you were born, to whom you were born. Uh, there's theories about attachment theory. Like, for example, if you were raised in a home where it was safe to attach in relationships and you weren't punished, it was predictable, it was uh, healthy, then you venture into the world as an adult eager to attach to others because you believe that is a safe thing to do. If, however, you were raised in a home where everything's unpredictable, and every effort you made to attach to your parents or to your siblings or to your extended family, every one of them became unstable and unpredictable and violent or whatever. You now have anxiety about connecting to adults in the adult world because you have learned anxiety uh, about attachment. 
that's just one tiny thing. Think about your personality. Think about uh, the, the, the processes you've been through, the wins and the losses and the pain. Man, does pain ever define us? So we are complicated beings. And most of the time, especially pre-Jesus, it's really hard for us to understand why we do what we do, why we say what we say, why we think what we think, why we believe what we believe. And this is the deep work of God because the goal of God is for you to prevail. And the way to prevail is to be whole, not to be religious, not to just do the right thing, but to be whole so that the organic natural fruit on the tree is goodness. And that happens as God keeps doing his inner work in us. So all a man's person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. And he wants to get in there and, and talk to you, reveal, turn on some lights in there. Why do you think that? Why do you believe that? Why do you treat people that way? Why do you think that way about your enemies? Why do you think that that's what love looks like? Why do you handle failure this way? God wants to get in there and do a deep work in us. And this deep work is transformation. It's, it's gold and it's slow and it requires some paying attention. Now, one thing I want to point out is that we also are created in the image of God. And if you go to Genesis 1, when he talks about he's going to make man and woman in his image, male and female, he says, he, he says they will exercise dominion over the earth, right? So we're image bearers of God. This is in us. And he created us to exercise dominion, to rule on the earth and to survive. So these instincts in you to win, to thrive, to prevail, to flourish, they are God-given. So it's not about becoming a person with no ambition or a person with no drive or a person with no competition in your soul, like I wanna win. It's not about uh, taking all of that out of you. It's about harnessing that by the power of Christ so that it becomes a flourishing part of who you are and it doesn't sabotage and ruin all your relationships and make your life harder, right? So this is what God wants to do. He wants to weigh the motives of your heart. And let me give you just an example of uh, a demonstration of this being, uh, why, why it's such a mystery to us, okay? This, this story, this is in Acts chapter eight. And this story has baffled me forever. And if you have an insight as to what's going on here, why this label is given, I would love to hear it. But it's Acts chapter 8. There's the, the, the disciples are, man, they're advancing the gospel all over these places. And there's this dude in this town named Simon who's a sorcerer. He actually, well, let me just read you the story. This is, this is in chapter 8, verse 9. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and had amazed people, the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. I mean, this guy had a, he had a thing going. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. Okay, this guy says, wow, Jesus is the son of God. The kingdom of God has come. I want in. And he believes and gets baptized. 
And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. And when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So something pow happens when they do that. We're not told what it is, but there's something that visibly demonstrates God just gave them his spirit. And it was awesome. When Simon saw that the spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. Now we're getting to motives here. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. Now here's the part I don't understand. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Bitterness? That's the part that jumps out. What? And I believe that these guys have an insight from God, and they go, hey, Simon, you got an issue going on in the tree of bitterness, and it's changing the way you think. It's altering the way you want to be perceived by others. Like there's a spring in you that is causing you to want to be this great, impressive person so that you astonish people by who you are. And when you, you want the power to give people the spirit of God so that they'll go, whoa, this guy's great. I understand all that, but apparently the deep root of it is some bitterness. And then Simon says, hey, pray for me that what you, what you just said won't happen to me. And we don't have the rest of the story. I've always wondered whatever happened to Simon. The battle is on and it's a battle of motives. And this is the, listen, you can, if... I want to make sure I'm not misunderstood. So uh, sometimes I have no on deck circle. It just comes out. And so uh, if I, if, if, help me. If all you want to do is go to heaven when you die, then man, Jesus redeemed you. You can understand that. You can receive Christ as your Lord and you can live a hellish life from this day to that one. But man, I just think he's got way more for you than that. Way more for you than that. And so if you want to have a deep work of God in your heart, it's time where you got to crack your heart open and say, Lord, help me see the deception of my own heart. Help me see what, where are these thoughts coming from? I had a thought on my drive in this morning and I emailed a thought to myself because I can voice do all that stuff. And, and it was, uh, Lord, give me, Holy Spirit, give me a, a new imagination of story for my own life because we tell ourselves stories we translate our story in certain ways and man we need the holy spirit to help us see that hey you feel strongly in this way but it comes from this bad place and i can heal that and then you might see the world differently if you let me do a work in there but if you hide it and pretend it's not there and repress it and shove it you might end up being like simon the sorcerer where you can't even, you don't even know what you're doing wrong but God keeps trying to correct you and you're slamming into the same obstacle over and over and over again because you're not letting Jesus go in here by the Holy Spirit and help you understand what in the heck's going on here. 
And so we need that to happen. Now, so what disciples seek is, is to have a singular motive. And that singular motive is the one Jesus had. And he said it this way, I always do that which pleases the Father. So here's our, here's our help. If we can get in our hearts this singular motive, I want to always do that that pleases the Father. That's going to be my path because now I can start to assess what's going on in there. And I go, mm, that thought, that belief, that feeling, does that please the Father? Uh, how I'm going to express this uh, perspective toward the person who is hurting me, this enemy, this person who's uh, creating hardship in my life, is the way I'm about to respond to them, is the way I see them pleasing to the Father? The way I'm managing abundance, if God has given me abundance, the way I'm managing it, is that pleasing to the Father? The way I'm handling conflict in my home, is that pleasing to the Father? You can start, to me, it's a helpful thing to have this singular motive. I want to always do that which pleases the Father. And that means I got to go in here and figure out, is this pleasing to the Father? So I'm going to give you an Old Testament uh, kind of roadmap for some, um, some guidance here. So this is Deuteronomy uh, chapter 30 and uh, starting in verse 19. And this is Moses, who's a pretty cool dude. Moses wrote this. I love, Moses is my hero. Uh, if I could emulate any one person in history, I want to be like Moses uh, in almost every way. I mean, the guy's just, his humility, his trust in God, it, there's a lot there. And, you know, he wrote the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch. And in those books of the Bible there, it says, now Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. And he wrote it. <laughs> and I just think that's so cool. Like if you could say about yourself, you know, I'm really humble. Like my next book's coming out, humility and how I achieved it, right? Uh, but I just, man, I just, I, I love Moses. So here's, here's what he says. This day I call heavens and earth as witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore. This is God's plan, man. God wants to set before you life. He wants to give you blessing, not cursings. He wants you to flourish. He wants you to prevail. And so uh, there's some three, there's three I will statements I wanna give you here as kind of a beginning point. If you go, okay, I'm in, I'm in. I wanna start letting the Lord weigh my motives. I want to start uh, living from a deeper place. I want to stop responding at the surface level. You know, the stimulus response thing. I want to actually change, let God change me. I want him in here. So let me give you three. And these are, uh, I like I will statements because um, it's, like a, it's like a promise you're making to yourself. This is what I'm going to start to do. So the first one, and these come right out of this. Uh, the first one is, I will choose life, not law. He says, I'm setting before you curses and blessings, and I want you to choose blessings and choose life. I'm setting before you life and death. And I don't know if you know this, but the purpose of the law in the Old Testament was to show us how wrong we were. And all the law can do is condemn you. But Christ came so that you might have life. So here's the first decision. I'm gonna choose life, 
not law. I'm going to stop measuring myself religiously. I'm going to stop measuring myself by how much good deeds I do. I'm going to stop measuring myself by how much I pray or read or go to church. Instead, I'm going to choose life in Jesus, and I'm going to go hard after that. I'm going to stop focusing on do and focus on the deep work of Jesus in you, right? That's what I'm going to do. And uh, let me read you Romans chapter 7 gives us a taste of this. In Romans 7, verse 4 to 6, it says, So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ so that you might belong to another, to him who raised him from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now by dying to what once bound us, you die to the law. We have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not the old way of the written code. So get rid of the rules, get rid of the laws, just go hard after being with Jesus, letting Jesus guide you as you let him change you. You don't need law, right? People who walk with God, Jesus didn't need the law. And as we get... uh, transformed by him and in him. We don't need the law either. You know, he's given us conscience. He's given us conviction. Uh, So stop focusing on doing and focus on life. Second, I will love nothing more than I love the Lord my God. Now, this sounds like uh, I got to stop loving people. I love a lot of things. I love a lot of, I love Mexican food. I love motorcycles. I love to play golf. I love uh, having all of my kids and their spouses and my grandkids around a giant table and we're telling stories from the past and somebody laughs so hard that something flies out of their nose. I love that. Like that is, that is like, that's what you're made for is this community. I love that. I love my wife. I love my kids. Yesterday we had a birthday party for two grandsons here. Their birthdays are the same week, so we throw one big party every year. We got to go to that party yesterday. I love that. I will love nothing more than I love the Lord my God. Those loves aren't diminished by that. They're actually enhanced by it. And so uh, this is the second I will. I'm going to love nothing. I'm going to love no one more than I love God. Now that guides you into this deeper connection to God. Matthew 10, verse 37, Jesus said, you know, well, I'll read it to you. I'm running out of time, so I was thinking about not reading it to you, but I got to. Uh, chapter 10, verse 37. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake is going to discover it really for the first time. So it's not that you're losing by loving things less than you love God. It's actually that you're gaining everything because it's the love for God that rightly calibrates and guides every relationship in your life. So everybody wins when you love nothing more than you love the Lord God. So that's the second one. The third one, uh, he says, uh, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. So I will listen to his voice and hold fast to him. I will listen to his voice and hold fast to him. Every day, really every moment of every day, you're operating from one mind or another. The Bible describes these two minds in various ways. There's a, on one side, there's the depraved mind, the corrupt mind, the carnal mind. You can, I'm giving you some scriptures on that screen that 
show you where those are found, but the scripture describes your mind without God. It is corrupt, it is depraved, it is selfish, it is carnal, it is incapable. But in Christ, we are given the mind of Christ. So now I have a transformed mind. I have a supernatural mind. I have a uh, redeemed mind. And so I want to live my life listening to the voice of God, holding on to him so that I'm living out of the right mind. So I've been, uh, uh, last week I gave you a way to monitor your progress with the spiritual discipline of alignment. Remember, the proper answer comes from the Lord's tongue. And so one of the ways you monitor your progress with alignment is what's coming out of your mouth. So let me give you a way to monitor your progress with the spiritual discipline of singular motivation. And that is to monitor your thoughts. Because your thoughts preclude, precede your actions, your ways. Your ways come out of your thoughts. So monitor your thoughts. As you have a, a situation going on, we're all thinking all the time. Man, you're, you're, you're thinking all the time. You could be with somebody, but not with them because you're thinking about something. Are the thoughts you're thinking, do they reveal a belief in the Lord Jesus Christ? Because here's our overarching goal. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. Do my thoughts reveal a belief in Jesus? Or do my thoughts reveal disbelief? When I think about myself, do my thoughts reveal trust in Jesus and his work in me? Or do my thoughts reveal putting myself above God, making myself the most important person? When I think about people, enemies, friends, family, people that are creating hardship in my life, do my thoughts about them reveal that I trust God and I'm gonna navigate the ways of God or do they reveal that I am 100% selfish and I'm moved entirely by self-preservation, self-blessing and getting rid of the pain in my life? Motives are hard to judge and the human mind is never more creative than when it's trying to justify its own actions. So Holy Spirit, come in here and let's monitor my progress by understanding the thoughts I'm having that are leading to the things that I'm saying or the actions that I'm taking or the dreams that I'm having for somebody else's life or my own. If you want to monitor your progress, monitor your thoughts. Then invite the Holy Spirit when you say, Lord, I repent. That thought is not pleasing to the Father because I have a singular motive. I want my thoughts to be always those that please the Father. It's not going to be organic to me yet, so I have to catch that thought and ask for the Spirit's help. Because, man, if I can make my thoughts pleasing to the Father, the fruit on the tree will also begin to be pleasing to the Father. Here's your response. Number one, believe that the Lord is life. Man, He's life. That's your first response. Just, just really uh, ask God supernaturally to grow your belief. Second, choose life and not law. Choose life and not self. Choose life. God has set before you life in Jesus. Choose it every time. And our third response here is always bless your oikos. Your oikos are these people that God has put around you. It's a New Testament Greek term for extended household. And it means these people that God is supernaturally and strategically placing right around you. Some of them you like, some of them you don't like at all. But God has put them in your life because people find their way to Jesus through other people. 
And God has brought them supernaturally and strategically into your life so that you might play a part in helping them find their way to Jesus. So your job is to bless them, believe for them in prayer, listen to them, eat food with them, that's my favorite, serve them, and when it's proper, share your story with them. Pay attention. Every ministry opportunity you will ever need is right in front of you. All we have to do is pay attention and let the Holy Spirit use us. Okay, so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pray for you. And then our team is gonna lead us in a couple of songs to worship, to respond. Over here on either side are prayer tables. You can move toward there. There's prayer volunteers that'll be there ready to pray for you. And you can uh, have someone agree with you in prayer. There is communion on either side. If you wanna go and just uh, privately uh, take the cup and the juice, uh, the cup, the bread and the cup, and remember what Jesus has done for you and have a moment with him, you can do that. There's a cross over here with paper and pencils and a hammer, and you can nail prayer requests or praise reports or some burden you're carrying to the cross so that it'd be an act of you giving that back to God. Or you can sit, stand, kneel, whatever helps you. Take this moment. Lord, finish your work in me right now. All right, let me pray for you. Father, I'm so grateful. Man, am I grateful for the ongoing work of Jesus in my life. I am not who I used to be. And I am not yet who I'm going to be, but man, you're working in me to become. Help us, Lord God, to stop focusing on doing and start focusing on the deep work of Jesus inside of us. Help us partner with you, Holy Spirit, for real change at the soul level. To reconcile our pain, to reconcile our emotional baggage, and to find the help of God right there where the action is at the soul level. Would you help us? And may you fill us with your Holy Spirit that we might glorify Jesus. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.